You are now listening to Trillionaires, a race ahead. Great recession did not affect everyone in the same way. A new report shows that the wealth gap between whites, blacks, and Hispanics are the widest they've been since the government started keeping track 25 years ago. What's good, everybody? Welcome to Trillionaires, A Race Ahead, a podcast that explores how racism, politics, and economics all contribute to the racial wealth divide in America. I'm your host, Danny Blue, and thank you so much for joining me for this episode three. If you took the time to listen to the first two episodes, if you took the time to leave a rating or review, reach out to me personally, reach out to the Trillionaires page on Instagram at Trillionaires Pod and share what you learned from the episodes. Um, Thank you so much. That's really all I'm doing this show for is to share the things that I'm learning with hopes that, you know, we will be more educated as a people and ultimately unite behind this this common knowledge and, and new perspectives. As for episode three, I really wanted to explore and take an objectified look at the black community during segregation and post-segregation. So I'll cover everything from the separate but equal doctrine to the Supreme Court decision on Brown versus the Board of Education, all the way to the civil rights movement and this push for integration. Hopefully it'll give you a new perspective on civil rights movement, integration, and segregation And you'll be able to answer by the end of the episode if segregation was actually a good thing for the black community. I hope you're ready to learn. Turn on your thinking caps. Turn the volume up in your car. Plug in your headphones at your cubicle. And let's get into episode three. Listen, for a long time, I had the idea that a man with white skin was superior because it appeared to me that he had everything. And I figured if God uh, would justify the white man having everything, that God had put him in a position to be the best. See, what's so unfortunate is that many black people at the time felt the same way that this gentleman in the video felt. They felt that blacks were truly inferior because throughout their entire existence in America, they had been pigeonholed, beaten, discriminated against, brutalized, and dehumanized all because they were black. So what... What, what is the average person going to think? Man, white man got to be superior. What he's saying and him preaching his superiority must be the truth because look at, look at how I live. The majority of black people um, after emancipation, after slavery, were craftsmen. Fast forward 50 years later, continuing the timeline for the first two episodes, and the majority of blacks are living in the South at the time, the height of Jim Crow, and they're working as tenant farmers, sharecroppers, or in domestic arenas as maids and housewives. So these are the only opportunities they they can get. They live in poor neighborhoods. 
They go to schools that are poor when compared to whites. They're underfunded. They don't have the resources that they need. And they're just getting enough to survive. Now, as you recall from episode two, we talked about the Reconstruction period, a period in time where the Republican-led government at the time had to step in and attempt to reconstruct the South. And this was a progressive period of 10 years, especially for black Americans. We saw our first black governor. We saw the establishment of Howard and Fisk universities. So blacks were starting to make progress. That then changed as uh, Southern Democrats started to become back in control in the South. And a doctrine was established called separate but equal. See, after emancipation, blacks clamor for access to educational opportunities because they had saw that as their opportunity to, quote unquote, make something of themselves in America. And that's what we all are told. You know, you get an education, you can get a good job, um, you can make something of yourself. But in the South at the time, with this separate but equal doctrine being established in 1896, Education was separate, but it was nowhere near equal. Just to shine some light and just to give you a a brief synopsis of the social climate at this time. There were two different socioeconomic classes in the South. There were planters and there were farmers. The planters were the elite of the South. They were the large landowners, the uh, former plantation owners that had owned a lot of land and employed many to work on them. Then you have your smaller farmers, which were oftentimes, um, we'll say middle-class whites, but they're not poor whites. They're not wealthy, but they own a, a small farm or small piece of land that they're able to purchase for themselves. Uh, they work on it. They maybe, you know, have share a, a share crop or a tenant farmer that works on it with them. But they have nowhere near the amount of wealth that uh, the planters do. And then you have um, some free blacks that have farms. This is a small percentage, maybe less than two percent, uh, if that. And then the majority are left as you know, tenant farmers, sharecroppers. Planters didn't want everyone to have equal access to opportunity. They didn't want to expand universal education to, to children in the South simply because they didn't want to pay for it. They also wanted a vast amount of unskilled black laborers to be able to work in the fields and continue to drive profits. Why, why, would, we, why would we want to teach, teach these, these black kids anything? We need them to be working for us. We need to be able to take advantage of their labor. That was their thinking of the time. But the thing was, why separate but equal was even created is because white farmers also wanted education for their children. They wanted their children to have access to public schools. So you had blacks that were lobbying for it, and you also had the poorer white farmers also lobbying for education. Why was this such a threat to the planters? Because they didn't want blacks specifically to be educated enough to challenge their control of politics 
and their creation of policy and regulation. That's what it really ties down to. They didn't they didn't want you to be educated enough so that you could learn the system, learn how it works, gain wealth for yourself and be able to challenge their control because it was much it's much more poor than there is wealthy. And that that still bodes true today. But oftentimes people don't think about it from that type of lens. You see black, white, when it really should be poor and wealthy. That's I mean, that's what this podcast is about, exploring the racial wealth gap that exists in this country and why it exists. And these are reasons why it exists. Now, the planners needed the support of the farmers, but the farmers were against them. So what did they do? The planners and farmers ultimately decided to work together. Universal education was established in the South, and blacks were able to now go to public schools. But as you know, there's always a catch. See, blacks were able to go to public schools, and the quote-unquote separate but equal doctrine was established by the Supreme Court in 1896, which stated that separate but equal facilities for black and white Americans didn't violate the Equal Protection Under Law Act. That that means black school, you can have all black schools and all white schools, and there was nothing wrong with it. The issue was that, especially in the South, funds were controlled at the state level. So the elites, planners who control politics were able to divert funds away from black children in black schools to white children in white schools. So much so that researchers have noted, and this is according to um, Sean Rochester's book, The Black Tax. In many cases, black teachers in the South were paid only 25% of what white teachers were paid. White teachers made up to 300% more than black teachers. Between 5 to $8 were invested to educate a white child for every dollar invested to educate a black child, meaning white students will receive up to 700% more funding and resources than black students. So... What that tells me and is probably telling you right now is that this system was, wasn't created for you to ever be equal. You were never to be put on a truly equal playing field with whites. And until America can acknowledge that and make systematic changes, I don't see a way in which we will ever get to that point because the history and the foundation of this country is rooted in racism and inequality. It's rooted in manipulation and taking advantage of one's labor. Now, diverting resources away from black students after separate but equal was established was so impactful that 
By 1900, there were only 27,000 black teachers for the two and a half million black children that were between the ages of five and 18 in the South. And of those children, only 36% were even attending school. And it's not because they didn't want to. It's just a matter of opportunity cost. What is a more valuable way for you to spend your time? If you're poor, your family's poor, your dad's working in working in a field and, and trying to get a crop so you guys can get off of the farm that you're working on and maybe one day on your own land. Your mom is working as a maid in, in, in someone's house. What's more valuable to your family and what's more valuable to you? Probably being able to work with your father and make some money so that you can get off the land that you are renting, for lack of a better word. Schools are underfunded. I mean, you don't have really have good books. 60 kids crammed into a small schoolhouse. Ah, it's the South. We're, it's not like they're going to give us opportunity to get ahead. I, I'd rather not just go to school. That was how that was how blacks were forced to think. They were forced to have those type of conversations. Is it more valuable for me to go to school or for, or for me to work and earn money for my family? And as you see, the majority of them thought that it was more valuable for them to work and earn money for their families, even though that's exactly what the elite and planners wanted from them to make their make their schools so poor that they didn't even think it was valuable enough to go there. Crazy, right? So if you, as you can imagine, America finally got wind that this is unconstitutional. In 1954, Supreme Court uh, made a decision that would declare the separate but equal doctrine unconstitutional in a case called Brown versus the Board of Education. What this would do would be to legally end segregation in the South and in the segregations of all public institutions and facilities. Blacks and whites can now go to the same school. They could go to the same businesses, the same restaurants, etc. And there was nothing that, by law, could stop that from happening. Now, on the surface, this sounds great, right? Now, blacks will truly get the opportunity to get equal education, right? They'll be able to go to the white schools that were better funded, uh, that had better resources, they'll get better access to education. On the surface, that was the thought process behind integration and segregation in schools. But let me just tell you this. If separate but equal had been truly separate and equal, researchers have shown, and this, again, this is according to uh, Sean Rochester's book, the black tax, the cost of being black in America. If separate but equal school systems would have truly been separate and equal in funding and resources and educational attainment, it would have reduced wage inequality between black and white workers by up to 50%, up to half. So think about it this way. If all other discrimination in society 
politics and the labor market had stayed the same up until 1954, the power of simply an equal education could have reduced the wage gap up to 50 percent. Just imagine if your great grandparents were college graduates. And they may be. Mine aren't. I was the first person on uh, my mother's side to get a college degree and get a graduate's degree. On my father's side, um, I believe just my grandfather that I know of has a, has a college degree. And that's two generations. So just think about four or five generations, what that does. Now that I have a master's degree, my kids are going to know that, okay, that's at least the base level. I at least got to get a college degree, right? That provides more opportunities for them. So just imagine if we had that ingrained in us in 1930s. Our great-great-grandparents had that, had that opportunity. Just imagine where we would be on a wealth basis, how much knowledge we would have, how much influence we would have as a community if we had just had equal access to education and opportunity. Now, here's my problem with the end of segregation. Again, on a high level, it's great, right? We finally are getting what is being told to us as the opportunity to be treated equally and fairly, have equal access to the same facilities, same schools as white. But we know that it just doesn't work that way. The system that we live in does not work that way. Schools are funded based on tax dollars, tax dollars that come from the people that live in the same neighborhood, same district as whatever that school is. So integration, as well as Jim Crow, caused a lot of blacks, those that had the money to move. It caused them to leave. And eventually, thriving black communities would be dismantled as a result because now blacks have the opportunities to um, support businesses owned by whites and other groups. Whites and other groups began to move into black communities and put in businesses there. Now, this is my personal opinion, but I think that what integration did was it placed the value of being able to shop at white stores. It placed higher value at being just next to white people in general than it did of being seen as truly equal in their eyes. Okay, now I can shop at Saks Fifth Avenue, or now I can ride the same bus as you, and now I can eat in your restaurant. Now I can shop, and it's nothing that you can do about it. That became more valuable and important to blacks than building a community and an economic base that then could be truly equal and valuable. See, before integration, you had thriving black communities. Blacks were forced to work together. They were forced to create businesses, create industries, and rely on each other because they couldn't rely on whites. To get their needs taken care of, they had to build businesses and communities. Were a lot of blacks poor? Yes, they were. But they were working together. 
you would go to a black school store and he may give you credit because he knows that, hey, man, I know you didn't, your crop didn't turn out that well. I'll give you this on credit. I know you can pay it back. That was that that was the essence of the black community. We were unified prior to integration. My integration opening up the lines, we would flock to support other groups. And of, of course, there's nothing wrong with supporting other groups. Don't get me wrong. It's nothing wrong with that at all. But we have to have a us first mindset because every other group has an us first mindset. And I'm not just talking about this off a of theory. There's numbers to support it, right? It was so drastic, our support of others outside of our communities, that today we now spend 95% of our income is spent with white-owned establishments. That means that white business owners can rely not only on their own to support them, but they can rely on us as well. They're, they're eating off two easily. In our communities, we were oftentimes able to get access to jobs and opportunities to work for people that look like us. We didn't have to worry about being discriminated against on a job interview. But integration hurt us so much that now, today, only 2% of black people work for other blacks. But what about businesses, Danny? There has to be more black businesses now today than there were in the 50s and 60s yeah there there are more black businesses but 93 percent of black businesses only have one employee that that's just themselves what progress has been made in our community since integration none in my opinion we've probably gone backwards we we've 100 percent gone backwards Schools are just as segregated now. They're probably more, schools are more segregated now than they were in the 50s and 60s. So what happened? Why, why is this? The issue with integration was that it sold this dream of opportunity, right? And the system didn't change. The system is still as unfair as it was back then now. Schools are funded by tax dollars. The tax dollars come from the people in the community in the district. If you flock to leave your black neighborhood for the suburbs, you are taking tax dollars away from the roads, from the institutions in your community, and most important, the schools in your community. So if you wonder why black neighborhoods are dilapidated, they're run down, the schools are poor, it's because we have been programmed to see success in America as being able to live amongst whites, period. We we celebrate making it out of our community. We are told to get out and don't come back. We go to college, we get degrees, and we go and work for big corporations, white firms that aren't owned or operated by people that look like us. We don't take our talents back to the hood. We don't become teachers. I, I, I honestly don't, 
I remember the first black teacher I had in second grade. I don't think I had another black teacher until my junior year of college at Wingate University. And she, I believe she was the one of two black teachers in the entire university at the time. So what does that tell you subconsciously? That yours is less than, that your school is less than, that your community is less than, when you are told and it is celebrated to get out of your community. It is celebrated to be able to shop at Gucci, Louis Vuitton. That, that is more valuable than a FUBU. That's more valuable than a black brand. When you do that, you are selling out your community. And that is why black America, in my opinion, is so fragmented today. We know what the system is. And we know that in order to operate in the system, we have to be united as a group. Group economics is the way in America. There is no other group that is so fragmented in their spending as black people. No other group that spends 95% of their income with another group. No other group. Hispanics have even surpassed black people. And black people have been here since 1619. But yet the, the, the wealth gap between Hispanics and white Americans is closer than the wealth gap between blacks and whites because Hispanics understand group economics. They set up cultural communities. You can, you can always know where there is Hispanic communities. They'll have Hispanic banks, check cash in places, restaurants, laundry mats, tax accountants, you name it. You'll, you'll see the signs of the businesses that will be in Spanish that you probably can't read. And what does that tell you? Oh, I don't need to go there. That's, that's a, for the Hispanics. Why is there no black neighborhoods that are like that, that are marked off culturally and only for us? It's because we saw integration as a quick fix, period. I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be truthful about it. We saw integration as a quick fix. We have been searching for a quick fix to our condition in America since the end of slavery. Reconstruction, in my opinion, was the only progressive time. Other than that, we have been searching and searching for quick fixes. Civil rights was a quick fix. Integration was a quick fix. We didn't once attack the system. We didn't teach our we didn't teach our our people about the importance of group economics, why it was important for us to have black communities, black banks, black schools. Why is that important? Just imagine as a kid what it will what it feels like going into a classroom and you know you got a black teacher. Going to a grocery store and you know the guy there owns it that's black. Being able to go to a theater and you know it's black owned. Just what does that do for you subconsciously? Says, man, I could do anything. Now kids grow up in what we now know as black communities, and the majority of them all either want to be entertainers or athletes. 
That's all they have to look up to. All they have to look up to is now what's on TV. There's no sense of community anymore. And that's the true problem that integration brought about to me. It's become a a selfish society. A society is very selfish. And in, in a capitalist society, it's hard for you to have a have empathy and have true compassion for the less fortunate. Hey, I made it out. Look, you can do it too. Listen, I worked hard and I made it out. So you need to do the exact same thing. It, it just doesn't work like that. There are a lot of things that contribute to one's success or failure. But having a, a strong community base that has black schools, black teachers, black businesses as a support system can help a black child matriculate through the system a lot easier than having a fragmented community in which everyone is poor and it's dog eat dog it's survival of the fittest think about it i mean if you're if you're living in poverty and everyone around you is living in poverty you don't see businesses that are thriving you don't have schools that are thriving they're underfunded it's going to be hard for you to find motivation. The only people that you see that are thriving are, are going to be the drug dealers or the athletes and the entertainers that you see on TV. It's hard to dig yourself out of poverty when your schools are bad, when your neighborhoods are bad, and you don't see any positive opportunities for yourself. It becomes truly survival of the fittest. I have to steal from you or I have to kill you before you kill me because we're fighting over resources. That's the reality of life in poverty-stricken communities and especially in black poverty-stricken black communities in America. Many have said that integration was one of the worst things that ever happened to the black community. And after doing research for this episode, I, I agree 100%. I just personally don't think we were ever truly integrated. I think that the government did a piss poor job in integrating us. They should have first integrated us socially, put black and whites together in the same communities, forced them to go to the same schools. And if you don't want to do that, then federally mandate and administer that every school gets the same amount of funding. Take away this tax system, BS. Because that just, continue, the, the way the system is built now, there'll never be true integration. There'll never be true equal opportunity because of the way our tax codes was written, the way our, our, our tax laws are administered, the way schools are funded. The best of the best in the black community are forced to leave. They're forced to seek refuge in the suburbs. Even if they really don't want to, they're forced to because that's where the opportunity is. That's where they they have the position to be in a safer neighborhood. They'll be able to provide for their families. It forces us to not give a F about poor people. It forces us to not care about the hood. 
Where do those origins lie in capitalism? You only care about your own good, your own best interests. You don't care about anyone else unless they're feeding your, your best interests. And I'm not a socialist or a communist or anything like that. I don't know the answers to how we fix the economic system of capitalism in America. I don't know that. I haven't got to that point yet. But I know that it's extremely flawed. I know that this country is extremely flawed. This government and the system that we have been forced to live in is extremely flawed. And it'll take true empathy, compassion, and unity for us to change it. And I'm not just talking about blacks unifying. I'm talking about every disenfranchised group unifying because it affects us all. Blacks have just been historically on the bottom of the totem pole, so it affects us the most. That's all I got for episode three, man. Um, this is a very, very important topic that I think needs to be discussed uh, within our community, within the quote unquote leadership in our community. I don't see enough people talking about it, which is why I wanted to to bring it to your ears. And I hope you were able to gain some new perspectives, learn some things. Um, and let me know if you think that segregation or not even segregation, let's just say separation if blacks need to be truly separated for us to thrive if you if you remember go back to to episode one after 40 acres and the mules black leaders at the time told general sherman look listen we want land we want to be able to work on it build it up we don't want any interaction with y'all we don't want to have to deal with racism we just want to be left alone and i feel like the way for us to thrive in this country is for us to be truly self-sufficient and rely on each other in our communities as other groups do let me know your thoughts i appreciate you listening remember black pride is not even Eyes open, I can see it clear. They don't make them bar none. They don't make them real. They don't make it where I'm from. They don't take it here.